0: This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. Uh, welcome to RUF, our very last RUF of the fall semester. Christmas RUF, it's great to see all of you. Uh, If I do not know you, my name is Jordan, and I'm the RUF campus minister here at the University of Texas. And um, if you've never been to RUF before, or if you've been around here a long time, let me tell you what RUF is, okay? So uh, RUF is a community of students, and we're trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbors, because what we believe is that God in Jesus in the manger is the embodiment of love. And so here's what we do. Each and every week, we meet in this room for large groups. We meet around campus in small groups. We meet in coffee shops and for lunch and one-on-one in order to both remind one another of God's love for us and then to rejoice in that love and to rest in it. And so as we say each and every week, what I hope you'll do, especially at this time of year, is rest and use this night as an opportunity to rest and breathe. Uh, and inhale and exhale the love of God for you. So I really do want you to know that no matter who you are or what you've done or what you believe, uh, you really are welcome here at RUF. And I, I do want to say tonight, since it is our last one of the semester, that I want to thank you this semester for welcoming me. Uh, my first semester here, thank you for welcoming me to and my family, to this really, really wonderful community. Okay? So um, this semester we've been asking this question together each and every week, and the question is, who is Christ for us? We said that Jesus is really sort of like a diamond, and, and as you turn him around, you really see all these different beautiful facets of who he is and what he came to do. And tonight, uh, for our Christmas large group, I want us to see that Christ is our king. He's our king. So some of you know that uh, Emily and I's very first conversation when we first met was at a party, and we talked about Harry Potter. Harry Potter. And that is absolutely as nerdy as it sounds. That was our first conversation. We um, were both in seminary. We were both like 26, and we both happened to be reading Harry Potter for the first time. And so someone was like, hey, she's reading Harry Potter too. Y'all should talk about it. And so that's what we did. And then we ended up getting married. So you just never know. Um, So, but some of you love Harry Potter, and you'll remember if you've read it, or if you watch the movies, that, what is the, how does Harry Potter begin? It begins on Halloween night in the year 1981, when a 55-year-old wizard named Lord Voldemort breaks into the home of Lily and James Potter and kills both of them and then tries to kill their little baby boy. And again, he successfully kills the parents, but he's not able to kill the baby. And why was he so threatened by this baby? By Harry Potter. Well, there had been this prophecy. There had been this prophecy that it said that Voldemort would one day be killed by a baby boy that was, would be born on July 30th, 1981. And that was Harry's birthday. That's the day Harry was born. And so the baby is this great threat to Voldemort. He's a threat to Voldemort's power, to his reign, and to his life. And so in every single book, what happens? I mean, Voldemort is trying to kill Harry Potter. That's basically the series. Um, In our passage tonight, we see something actually really similar. Uh, First of all, we have a prophecy. Second of all, we have the birth of a baby. And third of all, we have a full-grown man who feels so threatened by this baby that he tries to kill him and every other baby in the region. And so here's the point I want to say tonight. Christmas is about the arrival of a new king. And Christmas says to us, there is a king, and it is not me. There is a king, and it's not me. That's what I want us to see tonight. So let's look back at the passage. Well, if you look back at the passage, you see that Herod um, does not have a good Christmas, to put it lightly. Uh, It's a cold December night, and Herod is like laying on the couch, and he's watching like a football bowl game on TV, and he's having a drink. When suddenly these strange men show up at his doorstep and say, have you heard about the new king? And so if you're like the current king, and someone comes and talks about a new king, it's not like your favorite, right? And so he gets pretty worked up. I mean, look at verse 3. It says, when Herod heard about the new king, he was troubled, which again is to put it mildly, and all Jerusalem with him. I mean, over and over again in the passage, we see this repetition of the word king. Herod the king, the king, the king. The central tension of this passage is who's actually king? And so Herod is pretty shook here. And he's actually right to be shook. Because if we actually take Christmas seriously, what Christmas means, again, is that there is a king in the world, and it's not us. If at this point in the sermon you're thinking about The Lion King, you should be, okay? And um, The Lion King is the second best Disney movie behind Beauty and the Beast. Uh, We can talk about it later. Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, one and two. Uh, The Lion King is very, very profound. Again, Lion King, too, is about who is going to be king. And uh, maybe one of the most biblical songs in the history of Disney movies is Simba's song when he sings, I just can't wait to be king. Okay, this song is so profound. Listen to it. No one's saying do this. No one's saying be there. No one's saying stop that. No one's saying see here. Free to run around all day and free to do it all my way. I mean, y'all, isn't that how most of us live? No one's saying do this or be there or stop that or see here. Free to do whatever we want. In fact, if you think about sin, I mean, this is basically sin. Sin is basically saying, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I want to be free to do whatever I want. I want to be king. That's what sin is. I mean, think about in your life in college. I mean, how many times do you bristle when like someone tells you to do this? Right. We say like they're being judgmental. Right. I mean, we we create very little space for someone to tell us what to do. We don't like it. Um, Why might this be? Well, There's this man named Tim Keller, and he's a pastor in New York City. And here's what he says. He says that for the first time in human history, the world that we live in today, for the first time in human history, human beings like us believe ourselves to be the protagonist or or the center of the world's story and God to be the antagonist or the enemy. Think about this. Uh, He says, in other words, in every other age before ours, Humans looked up to God or something higher than themselves in order to find fulfillment and wisdom and meaning and happiness. And if they didn't feel those things, if they didn't feel happier, they didn't feel fulfilled, they assumed that it was their fault, not God's. But now it's completely reversed. Because now, in order to find those same things, fulfillment and, and guidance and happiness or whatever it might be, we do not look up, but we look in. And we look to ourselves. And if we're not happy and we're not fulfilled, we assume the problem isn't with us, but it's with God. And that's what we see in this passage. I mean, Herod wants to be king. And so the baby is an enemy. Herod's the the protagonist. Jesus becomes the antagonist. So if you want to make yourself king, and we all do because we're all sinners, then there are times when Jesus and Christmas should actually feel like a threat. Um, Back in the 1500s, there was this group of Christians in Germany. And and they sat down to write a document in which they wanted to summarize everything that they believed about God. Okay? Uh, It's a long document, as you might imagine. and It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. Not that any of you would want to go read it. But what do you think the first thing that they would write about God and being a Christian might be? This is the first thing they write. They write, Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort? Answer, that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The very first thing they write, the most comforting thing to their hearts and their brains is that they are not their own. That they're actually not king. That they're actually not free to do whatever they want. And this is like crazy in our world today. I mean, in our world today, we say, don't tell me what to do with my body. They would have said, my body belongs to God. Today, we say, don't tell me how to live. They would have said, my whole life belongs to God. He's allowed to tell me to do things. I'm not my own. To us, it's threatening. But to them, it was actually comforting. And so before we move on, I want us to ask ourselves a couple of questions, okay? And the first question is, who is your king? I mean, we all have functional kings, right? I mean, we all have someone. To, again, if they say do that, we'll do it. And if they say stop it, we'll stop. In general, we don't like people telling us to do, but all of us have someone who's actually allowed to tell us what to do. Um, we can make our kind of pledge ship jokes later. Okay. Um, but, uh, ask yourself, have I made Jesus my therapist where, where basically Jesus just tells me what I want to hear and he's not allowed to tell me anything hard or is he king and he's actually able to tell us what to do. That's the first question. Who's your king? It's worth thinking about. But here's the second question. I mean, do you really want to be king? Do you really want to be, like, in charge or in control of your own life? I mean, because, y'all, it just makes us so anxious. I mean, think about anxiety, right? I struggle with anxiety a lot. Anxiety is basically, I want to be king. I want to be able to tell myself and everyone else and sort of get my situation and my circumstances and my test grades and my future just so I'm kind of constantly just barking orders and getting everything in place. I want to be king. Or think about defensiveness. When we want to be king, we get really, really defensive. Someone tells us don't do that, we get defensive. Someone says stop, we get defensive. But if we're our own king, eventually we just burn out. I mean, it's just totally exhausting. When your life is your own and everything is up to you, it's just really tiring. So who's your king? Do you really want to be your own king? All of us are sinners, so the answer is yes, at least sometimes. It's worth thinking about, okay? But I want us to go back to the passage, and I want us to see that the wise men have, like, a very different Christmas than Herod, because they have a very different response to the news about this new king. But let's talk about the wise men for a second, okay? Because, I mean, wise men, we sort of, like, have them in our little, like, buy our, like, little Christmas mangers in our houses, and they're kind of cute or whatever. But, I mean, y'all, wise men were not good people, okay? They were not church people. Wise men were pagans, They came from far away in the east. They would basically be sort of like a kind of like new age, sort of like horoscope, um, kind of like astrology type person that you might meet, okay? Just this sort of quirky and out there. That was the wise men. These were not church people. Um, They were essentially, the wise men would have been the very last people that you would expect to actually show up at the manger, But that's actually one of the most shocking and kind of disturbing things about this passage is that the very people that you would expect to go out to Bethlehem and want to see Jesus in the manger don't go. And the people that you would never expect to see at the manger actually do. And by the way, uh, this is... Like one of just like the hallmarks of what REF is trying to be, right? I mean, we always say, I mean, we're not just trying to be a community for people who are sort of religious insiders. We want to welcome all we want to welcome all outsiders and people who have doubts and are searching people like the wise men. Okay? But again, one of the most shocking things in this passage is that the religious insiders, the Jews, the scribes, it says, everyone in Jerusalem, they won't even travel ten miles to Bethlehem to see the king, and the wise men will travel thousands of miles. But when they arrive in Bethlehem, the wise men actually show us what it might look like if for the first time we began to make Jesus our king and not ourselves or something else. So let's look at them for a second. What do the wise men do? Well, the first thing we see that they do is they worship the king. We see this in verse 11. It says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And this is just a good time to remember that we all worship something. I mean, that, that it's not about I'll either worship God or I won't. It's about I'll either worship God or I'll worship something else. I mean, as human beings, we just have to give ourselves to something, right? I mean, and you kind of see this just like... Um, and sort of like romantic comedy movies, for example, right? And when people will say things, there's kind of like the Tom Cruise quote, right? Like, you complete me. I mean, that's a worship statement, right? I mean, when we're like in love with someone, the things that we say to them are like worshipful statements. I will do anything for you. That's because as humans, we just have to give ourselves to something. And so the wise men here are giving themselves to Jesus. That's what it means to worship. It's to bow down and submit to something and to give your life to it. It's like a guy saying to a girl, I'll do anything for you. So that's the first thing. They worship the king. But then we see that they offer their gifts to the king. It says, verse 11 again. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. I mean, the wise men understand what we said earlier that their life is not their own, that anything they have belongs to Jesus, not to them. And so. I want us to imagine for a second. I mean, what would it look like for us to hand over different things in our life to Jesus? What would it mean to hand over our schedule and our calendar to Jesus? And what would it look like to hand over your future to Jesus? What would it mean to hand over your body to Jesus? Jesus. To hand over your relationship with guys to Jesus, or your relationship with girls to Jesus, to actually hand over these things in our life that we want to tight fist. And letting go of these things and giving them to God feels like really terrifying, but it might actually be really freeing. Um, A lot of Christmas, or sorry, a lot of movie hot takes tonight, okay? Best Christmas movie, Home Alone. Uh, I was telling some of the girls at Hardin last night. That's like my favorite Christmas memory. Each and every year, Emily and I watched both the Home Alone movies the other night. So the other night, I came home, and she was watching Home Alone 2, and I felt a little betrayed. She started without me, but anyway, it's fine. We'll watch them. Home Alone. Kevin wakes up that first morning. He walks around the house. He sees that no one is there. All of his siblings who had, like, bossed him around and told him what to do are gone. He's king of the house. He he like runs around, right? He's like totally, feels totally free. He's totally excited. But then by the end of the movie, he's like, I don't really want to live alone. Like, I don't really want to be able to just do whatever I want. I actually want to be with my family. So again, it's actually really profound. I mean, Kevin means he moves from, I want to do whatever I want to like, life is actually kind of better with my family, and the same thing may be true for us. We think that life apart from God, getting to do whatever we want, is more freeing. But actually giving things to God and being with him is actually more freeing and more fulfilling. Because for the first time, you don't have to, like, tight fists anymore. I mean, again, imagine these wise men. They're, they're, they're bringing and they're, like, laying these gifts before Jesus' feet. And so what that means is their hands have gone from this, grasping onto something, to just letting it go. There's this prayer that I love to do. Um, It's very easy. Uh, You sit in a chair, and you uh, hold out your hands, okay? Um, And what you do is you first just hold your hands like this, and you essentially ask God to reveal to you what are the things in your life that you just need to drop, right? It could be an anxiety you have. It could be a relationship you know you need to get out of. Um, it It could be just some kind of like... Uh, bitterness or resentment you're holding on to, some grudge, what do I need to drop? Do that a couple minutes, and then you turn your hands over and you ask, what are the things I need to receive from God? Do I need to receive his forgiveness? Do I need to receive his peace? Do I need to receive his rest? That's what the wise men do right here. Third thing they do, it says uh, they do not return to Jerusalem, but they go out by another way. I want to think about that statement for a second. They meet the king, and then they go out by another way, which is to say they leave a different way than they came. They're not the same people they were. And this is also true. I mean, when Jesus truly becomes our king, we're just not the same. And we find ourselves being a little bit less selfish, and we find ourselves being a little kinder and more generous and more sacrificial. So... How do you know you're beginning to more and more make Jesus the king of your life and not something else? Well, again, the wise men. First, you're worshiping. You're saying to Jesus, I'll do anything. Tell me what to do. Second, you're offering right here. And then third, you're heading out by another way. Things in your life are just changing. God will love you even if you don't change. But it's still good to change some things. Okay? Um, All right. So as we close, I want to just give a couple more uh, thoughts on Christmas. So... Uh, back in the 80s, there was this group of pop stars and rock stars who came together to throw this like benefit concert um, to raise a bunch of money for the AIDS pandemic that was like raging all over Africa, right? In the 80s and 90s, AIDS was a huge deal. And so all these kind of famous people, I mean, today it would have been like Taylor Swift and whoever get together. Then it was Bono. They get together and they throw this huge concert, 100,000 people. They're raising millions and millions of dollars for charity to go to help people with, in Africa with AIDS. And they come with this song. And You probably heard this song on the radio, and the song is "Do they know it's Christmas time at all?" Do y'all know this song? Do y'all know this song? Sorry, okay, I see a few heads. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? And here's the premise of the song: We over here in America know what Christmas is, but them over there in Africa, where there's no like snow on the ground and there are no presents, do they really know it's Christmas time at all? But here's the irony. It's not the people who are poor and hungry and sick and dying that are in, are in danger of missing Christmas. It's actually us. Like if anyone, if anything, the people in Africa should be asking us, the people who have everything, do we know that it's Christmas? Because if you have everything... If you have everything, you know, spirit, you know, emotionally, um, you know, psychologically, your future set, money, financially, if you have everything that you need, I mean, what can Jesus coming into the world really offer you? There's this guy named Oscar Romero, and he has the, he says this. I think it's pretty brilliant. He says, no one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. Those who are self sufficient and proud and those who, because they have everything, look down on others, and those who have no need, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone, and that someone is Jesus. Those who need someone to come on their behalf. I mean, y'all, if you've heard anything in our this semester, I hope it is this. Christianity is for people who need someone to come on their behalf. They need someone to come on their behalf. They need someone to come. If you don't need anyone to come for you, it doesn't matter. So, um, again, it, Christianity is for those who know nothing. It is for those who have nothing. It is not for the proud. It is not for the self-sufficient. It is not for the religious. It is for those who are hungry and needy. Okay, so it's December 1st. We have 25 days until Christmas. Again, if you don't really need anything or need someone to show up on your behalf, then there's honestly not that much to get excited about for Christmas. It's not that big of a deal if you don't need anything. But if you're at the end of your rope, and if you feel needy in some way, and if you're kind of done trying to rule your own life, and if you're exhausted, and if you feel kind of burnt out, then you're going to, like, really love Christmas. Why? Because Christ, who is our shepherd and our lover and our life and our rest and our righteousness and all of these things, is coming into the world for you. One of the things I love about Christmas is that it comes right after December 21st, uh, the winter solstice, right, which is the longest and darkest day of the year, right? I and mean, the sun goes down at, like, 430, And then for college students, Christmas also comes right after the busiest and most stressful time of the year. And so it gets busier and busier and busier, and then Jesus comes. You get more tired and more tired and more tired, and then he shows up. It gets darker and darker and darker, and then he comes. That's very good news, I hope. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we do not have everything that we need and that trying to rule our own lives just doesn't work. Father, I pray for myself for my friends here that we would more and more prepare our hearts for your arrival in this world. Lord, thank you that you made the world for us and that you show up in the world for us in love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.